This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm giving yet another camera a try. Those uh, cannons that I found at the junk store. This is one of them, the uh, HF11. So we'll see if it's any good. Uh, if not, I will give up permanently and go back to using either just a webcam or just a pro cam if I could ever afford one. Um, but I just I wanted to give this a try at least because I got them for ten bucks a piece, and if they look better than a webcam, might as well just use it and give it a shot. But uh, anyway, um, I'm traveling this week, so I had to record this a few days earlier than normal. So a few extra stuff might be tagged in at the end. Um, obviously, probably just using like a, an iPhone microphone or something real quick to, to get it done. But um, like I said, this isn't a normal week. I'm traveling, so who knows? Maybe it'll end up shot perfectly, or maybe I'll end up with a couple of like selfie shot on the iPhone videos <laughs> stuck into this. But I guess we'll find out soon enough. Let's get into the news. First up, My Life in Gaming just posted a documentary about the game Night Trap for the Sega CD and about its remake coming out soon, and it was absolutely incredible. In fact, usually I'd have video running of the um, you know the actual thing, but I don't even want to spoil anything. I'll just do a quick little screenshot there. Um, even if you have the slightest interest in that, definitely give it a shot. I mean, these guys are absolute pros, and uh, I will never ever put out videos as good quality as they do. I'm going to try, hopefully eventually I could upgrade equipment and get a green screen, but it'll still never be as good as them. Also, Limited Run Games announced that you'll be able to buy a Blu-ray copy of their documentary. Um, they don't have a page for it on their website, uh, they just had a tweet, and there's no release date or price or anything, so I really hope I'm able to get one, uh, both because I think it's awesome and I want to support those guys. So. Uh, hopefully, limited run games will have a website or something, or a web page or something. Um, so, yeah, I'll uh, as soon as I hear any more news about that as well, I'll keep everybody updated. And speaking of my life in gaming, they actually said that they're going to be posting all of their show notes on their website which is really cool because that's just a way to go back and reference some of the things that they mentioned. So I think that, I don't know if they're going to go back and post any old notes, but I think going forward in the future at least to expect it. So it's just mylifeandgaming.com, uh, links down below. Voltar just decided to donate his sRGB expansion board to the community for free. So that's the board that you could plug into a SNES Mini that allows you to use its own amplifier to get RGB signal. Um, and installing this board will also lower and correct the brightness on all the other outputs as well. And you get S-Video if you also connect the two wires with it. So it's just a really neat and clean way of getting RGB and S-Video out of a SNES Mini using its own board and its own stuff. And that's actually what I use on my Mini. I use this on Mini and then the 7374 board on a one chip. 
And I think it's absolutely awesome. Um, I love to see people just donate stuff for whatever reason they choose. You know, if you're not going to, if you don't want to support it, give it away. Um, I don't know exactly why he decided uh, this time, but I think it's because he's just on, has so many other projects to, to support another board. An inexpensive board wasn't really on his plate, so rather than stop selling it, he gave it away. I'm pretty sure. So, you know, thanks so much to him. And maybe an end result of this is we're going to start to see less crappy mod work on eBay. Because maybe now that this thing is out there for free, just go to OSH Park, make a couple boards, solder some components. Maybe now people will start to use this to do SNES Mini mods and not whatever hacked glued solution they've been using. So everybody cross their fingers and maybe this is a step in the right direction for everybody. It looks like the Too Old Too Furious fighting tournament coverage that I shot got posted on SureYouCan.com which is pretty awesome. So I know I've talked about that two weeks in a row. I guess this would be third, so I don't want to waste any more time on it, but shout out to sure you can thank you very much for posting that, and uh, I really can't wait for the next one. It looks like the team behind the RGB Pi is now going to be making one for JAMA adapters as well. So now that's uh, at least three total designs that are going to be available to go from a Raspberry Pi to JAMA, which is awesome. I still haven't had time to do the full shootout of all the other ones, and I'm really upset about it because I've been dying to do that for a long time. Uh, so I'm supposedly getting an arcade machine in here eventually as well, so maybe I'd be able to do that um, afterwards. So I'll do the ones that I already have first, I'll do that full video, and then hopefully I could do the gem versions too when they're all set. Because I just, that is really exciting to me. You just grab your little ass Raspberry Pi, stick the jam adapter on there, and stick it right inside your arcade cab. That is awesome, because I spent a long time perfecting the Mortal Kombat machine setup that I had, when really all, you know, I would have loved to have had a pre-configured image like this. So, uh, very exciting stuff, um, and I will report back when there is more to say about it. Someone just sent me a link to a new scaler that does arcade games, so RGB to HDMI. And at first glance, it looks like one of those GBS line doublers that process 240p as 480i interlaced. Um, but I haven't had a chance to really look at it, or I, I haven't purchased one yet, so maybe, maybe it's way better. But it's $60, so it might just be worth trying out. Um, you know, inexpensive scaling solutions are pretty much non-existent. Uh, ones that are worth trying, in my opinion. All of the ones that I've tested just add a gazillion frames of lag, and they look like shit. So um, if it's just even passable at $60, I'd be happy. So maybe I'll get around to testing one, or if any of you guys um, have owned one of these yet, please let me know, and uh, who knows, maybe there's a cheap little scaler that we'll finally be able to start using, even if it's just for 480p line doubling. A quick update to the OSSC project. It looks like the version 1.6 OSSCs should be arriving to video game perfection in September, which means they'll probably start shipping around that same time. So I would guess that unless there's any major delays, the first round of pre-orders will probably ship around late September. Um, no hard date yet. I'll let everybody know when there is, and I ordered one too because I want to test and see just what the little differences are. Um, I think it's just minor stuff, audio built in and things, but I still want to put it through its paces because I'm me. <laughs> 
Someone sent me a link to a paste bin page that talks about making a, an RGB input card for JVC monitors that don't have one. Um, I think Panasonic monitors would use something similar as well. Uh, I didn't really have time to go through the whole thing, and paste bin really isn't the easiest place to, to read through stuff. It's essentially like reading through a text file. But if any work like this is being done, I'm excited, because there's a bunch of cards that you can't get anymore or are expensive, like the BKM68X. So if we're somehow able to make our own or find ways of repurposing other ones, I am 100% on board and will try to help any way I can. So uh, any experts have time to take a look at this, let me know, and maybe we could make them for some of the Sony uh, monitors as well. Two new MSU audio patches were just released for the SNES. One is for Street Fighter 2, and the other is for Terra Nigma. I think I'm saying that right. I'd actually never heard of that game before. Uh, but as always, any MSU audio patch I am very excited about, and I will have to at least try just to you know see what it's like. Especially because Street Fighter 2 has had some really great soundtracks over the years, so um, I'm really interested to give it a shot and see. The links to the main patches are in the description, and I'm pretty sure Smoke Monster will be having those in his MSU pack soon, uh, if not already, so definitely look out for both of them. A few more patches were released for Mega Man The Wily Wars on Sega Genesis. Now, for anybody that doesn't know, that's a game that uh, took the older Mega Man games that were on NES and kind of remastered them for the Genesis, kind of like Super Mario All-Stars did for the Mario games on the SNES. And I love it. I just think it's a very cool game. And the few quirks that it had, I think, were worked out in some of these patches, as well as it fixed the save RAM patch for it. Um, now, this was a PAL-only game, but one of the patches makes it run at 60 frames a second and for it compatible with NTSC TVs as well. So this is really like a fully featured patch for it. And also, I believe the, uh, there is a Mega EverDrive firmware update that if you're using that one, you'd want to make sure to use the newest version that just came out so that the save game will be compatible. Um, so I'm definitely going to be grabbing that patch, updating my Mega EverDrive, and giving this a shot again, because I think the last time I tried to play through, I still lived in my other apartment, and it was a lot of fun, but I just never had time to finish it. So... Here we go, I'm going to give it another shot. And uh, thanks to Smoke Monster for giving me those last two tips. I always love it when people keep me in the loop with stuff like this. Next, somebody just posted a review of the 2DS XL. And some of the interesting things that they found were that the pixels don't line up and look like they do in the 3DS. So I think it's a result of them using a different resolution screen and then having to just compensate for that in the software. And they had a bunch of other points in the article, but that was the one that certainly stood out the most to me. So I haven't had a chance to test one myself. I still have a couple of 3DSs over there I need to test and send one back to my friend Justin. But whenever I do get around to it, I would love to do a screen shootout of everything and kind of test these myself and post pictures up. But uh, it seems pretty interesting for somebody that might have been interested in buying one of those. DV Electronics currently has stock of the PC Henshin adapter, and I believe other of their products are coming in as well. So by the time you watch this, they might actually have a full inventory. So if anybody's been waiting on any of those things like the graphics booster or the Genesis single flash carts or anything like that, now's the time to pick one up. I just saw that Dolby Labs posted an article about a reference LCD they make that outperforms CRTs. 
And while I'm always skeptical of stuff like that, because of course Dolby's going to you know write an article boosting their own stuff, um, these things are also ridiculously expensive. I think somebody posted it on one of the the CRT groups, and I, I mean I would love to see one in person. And I've actually had the opportunity to see a lot of these things. I saw the demo of SED TVs at CES a couple of years ago. I saw a JVC reference projection, rear projection TV, which was the best rear projection TV I've ever seen. And I never really liked the look of those anyway. But uh, yeah, but those were all like 30, 40, 50 grand. So I don't, couldn't see a price on the Dolby website. But if anybody's mega rich and wants to buy one, I'd love to swing by and do a review of it. <laughs> It looks like they've made a lot of progress in Darksoft's Neo Geo ROM cart, and it's just about to be ready for sale. Um, I think they were ironing out a few other bugs and then adding a few extra features like boot right to a game or boot to one of the slots by holding down a button. Um, there's a whole video that explains all of the new features, and it's looking great. So hopefully they'll be able to open up orders for at least the MVS version right away, and then I believe the AES version's coming right afterwards. But um, I have an MVS coming, so as soon as this thing's up for sale, I'm going to buy one, and hopefully I'll be able to review it and really just put it through its paces. So fingers crossed that my arcade machine arrives and that this thing, Darksoft's ROM cart, will go up, uh, go up for sale very soon. I recently posted a review of the Retro USB Wireless NES controller, and I kind of had some mixed results with it. So uh, if you were interested in buying one of these, or if you were wondering how it worked, I would definitely watch the video. Um, I haven't reached out to Brian yet about it. Uh, maybe, you know, I don't think I got a bum unit or anything. I really just think it comes down to a matter of preference and, you know, what your hands are used to. So definitely check it out and uh, if you're interested in it and, uh, you know, comment on that video if you'd like me to do a follow-up or, or anything like that. But overall, I'm still a massive fan of Brian and his products. So this one uh, just, it's not for me. So no big deal. And I'm not trying to be insulting or anything. I'm just, you know, not everybody makes everything perfect for everybody else. So uh, check it out, though, if you're interested. Okay, now on to the Q&A stuff. Uh, I got a ton of great responses about that uh, SD to Vita product that allowed you to put a micro SD card into a PlayStation Vita. And it looks like you definitely do need a jailbroken Vita for it to work. Um, and then you just need to add a few like a, a few files to the actual micro SD card itself. Um, and there's even a full review of it on a different website, which uh, somebody had linked to. So um, And the firmware you have to be on is version 3.6. So basically, it's all good news as long as you're running a jailbroken Vita. Um, and thanks to everybody for all the responses. Okay, next, Michael Baker asked, what's my opinion regarding Game Boy or Game Boy Color games on Super Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Player via GameCube with the Game Boy interface software, that's important, or the Analog NT Mini? Um, the truth is, it's... My opinion is that whatever fits your solution best works. So if you only play Game Boy games and don't really care about Game Boy Color, you know, getting a, an RGB modded SNES Mini or just a regular SNES and a Super Game Boy or even the Super Game Boy 2 from Japan that has the correct clock speed, it's super easy and it's inexpensive compared to everything else. So that's a great option for a lot of people. 
Um, the Game Boy Player with the Game Boy Interface software, not the stock software, is freaking amazing. I mean, the things that Extremes made that do is just really incredible. Different, All the different options from saving screenshots to all the video options, zooming and stuff like that. Um, and you could even zoom in the low latency version now. It, it's just, I mean, it's the software itself is just phenomenal and he gets huge props for it. The problem, though, is first you need a GameCube, then a Game Boy Player, then a way to boot Homebrew. So, you know, Action Replay with Swiss on an SD card is by far the easiest, in my opinion. And then you need a good out, out, output option. Sorry. So if you already have a PAL GameCube um, and you're playing on a, a, a CRT, it's no problem. Just grab, uh, you know, any kind of uh, GameCube RGB SCAR cable and you're good to go with 240p. But if you're playing on a flat screen, then you got to get a GameCube video solution or, you know, the, those crazy expensive component cables. So you're talking hundreds of dollars to get this thing running versus definitely under 200 Even if you buy an RGB modded NES Mini or SNES Mini with the Super Game Boy 2, I mean, right there, it's under 200 bucks, and you play all Game Boy games on it. Um, you know, it's a lot more expensive with the GameCube. Uh, and of course, the most expensive is the Analog NT Mini, and I really love it. My only complaint at all about the Mini NT Mini is that the cartridge adapters haven't come out yet, and when it comes to portable consoles, I 99% of the time would much rather play them on the big screen TV or on a, um, a RGB monitor. But because it's portable, I love having the option of like, all right, cool, you know, let me go explore around in Oracle of Seasons and I could just throw it in my handheld and play it on the couch or play it on the subway or something. And so that is the one thing that the analog NT Mini is missing is the cartridge adapters that were supposed to kind of been out by now. I know Keptris is swamped with work. I'm sure they'll come out eventually, but... Um, but yeah, depending on what you need, I mean, the Game Boy interface software offers screenshots and stuff that might, uh, and a few other zoom options that might make you want it over the analog NT Mini, but when you buy one of those, you get, you know, 10 consoles in one. So that's my opinion on all those, um, and I'm really, what adds even more confusion to it is when the RGB moddable Game Boy Advance kits and then the uh, HDMI Game Boy Advance kits come out. So now you have ways to just play it direct in. So I'm not really sure what's going to be the best then. I'm pretty pretty sure my, you know, the short answer to your question, what my opinion is, is that everybody's situation is going to be different. But that's how I play all those different games. Um, and if your OCD is a little crazy like mine, just keep in mind that playing on the Super Game Boy, um, the pixels are stretched because it, it doesn't keep it the same aspect ratio. Um, so if that's the case, uh, but if you do use a FrameMeister, Firebird Nexus profiles fix that, but uh, I don't use one of those. So yeah, sorry for the long answer, but that's the best I could do because there's so many options and there's so many great options. So I guess just definitely pick the one that's best for you after evaluating each one of their features and cost. Next, Dave Kircher asked, you mentioned that we an Xbox component is preferable over SCART because they support 480p. Is this an implementation decision on their part or part of the SCART standard? Um, so 
basically, SCART is the connector and the standard that goes with it. The video signal that goes through that cable is RGBS, which you could put, I think, up to definitely up to 1080i and possibly up to 1080p through it. Um, but it's the SCART standard says that you could only go to 480i. And to be honest, getting anything more than that and using SCART the way we as retro gamers do is a relatively new thing. Um, you wouldn't—I don't think you would have found in most cases in like year 2000 people hacking stuff and using a SCART cable to put 480p through it. So, like Dreamcast through a 480p SCART head, like you wouldn't see that back then, but now you see it in the Toro. So that's why they didn't do it. It's because of the SCART standard and because nobody else did the stuff that we do. And I always talk, of course, about how if there was a different standard we could all switch to, I would do it in a freaking heartbeat because I'm not a fan of SCART at all. Um, and a bunch of us have spent, I mean, unhealthy amount of hours trying to figure that out, uh, but didn't really get anywhere on it. So we're stuck with SCART for the short term, more most likely forever. Um, and when you want to pump these extra resolutions through it, you do need to use all the different tricks. Also, regarding that whole SCART RGB 480i, 480p, a ton of people posted down below of last week's, and I was trying to stick to stock consoles. Yes, you could mod uh, an Xbox to get sync on green over it. Yeah, I know some videos out there say that 480i looks better than 480p in certain scenarios, but I'm just trying to stick to stock consoles in general terms here. Um, any of the, the nerdy stuff we talk about, especially in the Q&A, I could probably talk about for a half hour. I try to keep these things to like as short as possible. So I know I skipped all those details last week, but hopefully this gives you, uh, you know, give Dave the answer to his question and, and give you guys perspective on that. Next, Simbin asked, how do you recommend playing modern PC games on 240p CRTs? Stuff like Shovel Knight, AM2R. Um, that's really awesome to do, by the way. I played through AM2R in 240p on my Sony BVM, and it was just incredible. Uh, Axiom Verge, I played mostly on a, a CRT in 480p, but I did try it once in 240, and it was cool as hell um, through a down converter. But there's two ways to do it. The easiest way is to find a down converter, like the Mimo Genius 2 or the Extron Emotia. Both are hard to find and very expensive, so keep that in mind. But basically, you just take 480p VGA, whether it's a natural VGA output or an HDMI to VGA converter, one of the really cheap ones, plug it into this, that down converts to 240p, and then plug that into your monitor. So that's the easiest way to do it. Um, there's talks of somebody possibly making kind of like the opposite of the OSSC, so you could put in any kind of 480p and it always spits it out. So kind of like the Super Emotia, but a brand new retro gaming based product, that would be really cool. But until that comes out, uh, if that even comes out, it's just going to be really expensive and hard to find. Uh, if, um, if you want to run software... Uh, that will work great too. You just have to keep in mind that you're now lowering the resolution of your computer. So it makes things kind of hard. You almost have to get the game ready to launch. Like a trick I used to use was open up the run window in Windows. So, you know, just hold start and hit R, get the command ready to launch the game, switch it to the low resolution, then launch the game. That way you don't have to worry about, you know, icons and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, 
using an arcade VGA video card. Just install it, and it boots into 240p if you want to, and you could switch between resolutions on the fly. Or use a compatible ATI card, ATI AMD card, and CRT MU driver. And I haven't, I've really barely even experimented with that, but basically you just load it up and you change the resolution. The only thing to keep in mind is either of those solutions are using video cards that output RGB HV, so the sync is split into two. You're really going to want to use a sync combiner. I've seen people tie them together, tie the the two sinks, um, and I don't know that it would do much harm, especially if it was on something like a PVM, which accepts a very wide range of voltages. But just to be safe, I would use something like an Extron RXI box, uh, and you just plug VGA into it, and then it goes out RGBS. So those you could find really cheap, too. You just need any of the Extron RGB interfaces. So... Uh, I hope that answered your question. Hey, before I go, I do have a quick question for you guys. So I shot the whole episode on that Canon camcorder, basically the other one of these. Um, what do you think? Is it okay? Uh, do I keep it? It's only 10 bucks, so you know it wasn't that big a deal. Or should I go back to this? Just a basic old webcam. Um, you know, the only solution I found that really does work the best is one of those professional 1080p video cameras, which are at the moment out of my price range. So the best bets for now are that cheap little camcorder that you just saw, or this, the Logitech C960 webcam, um, and whatever you guys prefer, I'll keep using. It's the exact same effort to do both of these things. So just let me know. Up next, I have an interview with Charlie, the creator of the LCD Zapper project, but I have to apologize for the video quality. I have no idea what happened. I was running, everything was fine, and then all of a sudden OBS spiked to 100% CPU usage, and it looked fine in the preview when you, window, but afterwards, uh, I don't even know what happened to that video file. So. Um, I'm trying to find a way to perfect this, but I think the fact that I'm using OBS and Skype are a real killer. I should be using XSplit and something else, but any suggestions you guys have, I'll definitely give it a shot. But I'm really sorry for the video quality, but the audio is still fine, and the interview was a lot of fun, so uh, hope you, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Um, as always, any comments or criticism, post down below, and I'll see you guys next time. Hey guys, I am here with Charlie, creator of the LCD Zapper. What's up, man? How you doing? Mm-hmm. All right. Good to, be, good to see you. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm very glad I got the chance to talk to you because I saw your video on YouTube last year, I believe. Yeah. Um, but yeah. at that time, it was very much a hobby-looking project. Um, and I just thought, well, that's awesome, but I don't have 12 hours to spend on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but now, uh, now that it's really moving forward to, I mean, a, a lot of progress. Um, I just, I would love to hear more about it, how it works, and uh, and when we can start using it. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, um, so yeah, when I, I first made it, it was a very cobbled together. Uh, like somebody in the YouTube comments called it a contraption. <laughs> and I think that's the perfect name for it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, basically I did that video. Um, and then, um, sort of like I just was sort of like mulling it over in my head because I thought oh, maybe it could be a product that people might like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the ESP32 was released, which is like a microcontroller, it has Bluetooth built in, and it was dual core. And so they were the two things that uh, would make it 
you know all integrate into one one package easily. So um, yeah, I had a bit of spare time, and so I put together a new boards and tried to make it as much like a commercial product as as I possibly could. And then you uploaded it as a, an open source project now. So uh, the original project, uh, like everything that I've, I always do, I always just upload it and say people can do whatever they want with it. As this one is basically the same thing but in a nicer package. Uh, it's up there, and any hobbyists or you know people can build it. Uh, it's only got a clause on it saying uh, it's not for commercial use. It's just because I'm currently thinking about producing it commercially, and I wouldn't want somebody just to clone it. Um, right. Yeah, it makes so, sense. So, so that's there, but. Uh, you know, if the commercial thing doesn't uh, pan out, then I'll just say, okay, anyone can do what they want. But gotcha. Now, um, how did you even get started in this? Do you, you know, what do you? Is this? Do you tinker with hobby for a living, or is this just like a, a fun thing on the side? Well, this is a fun thing on the side. So, uh, actually, I'm a programmer and uh, sort of like my day job. Hmm. And um, so, yeah, electronics was always a hobby. Playing around with. Uh, my controllers and stuff. Well, this this is because uh, I have no education in electronics. Mm -hmm. um, so this is like the first sort of semi-serious bit of analog because I need to interface with an analog video signal that I've ever done. So uh, yeah, I'm sure you know. I think I think it's worked out fine, but I'm, I'm sure there are better ways of doing it and uh, etc. But. Well, I'm yeah. sure the programming knowledge you had was a, a, at least a, a help in doing all this. That way you could oh, interface yeah. the hardware together. I mean, that's yeah. the hardest part for me because I'm not a programmer. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, the whole the whole thing basically came about because I did some FPGA um, programming mm -hmm. uh, just in spare time, and uh, I was thinking of another use to do with that. And so I was thinking of something that needed a really low latency. And uh, so I, was, I suggested it to a friend. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about making this thing. It's like uh, to make light guns work again. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, that, sound, that sounds great. So I thought, okay, I'll have a look and see what the timing requirements were. And I was a bit disappointed to find out I could do it with an Arduino. Um, so, yeah, so the Arduino one came about. And then, yeah, the, the new version's got faster CPU. So, uh, you know, it's a bit, bit more stable than the, the last version was. Gotcha. Now, um, about how much lag is added to all this? Because it's kind of a... Well, I guess, you know what? Hold on. Let me just... <laughs> I'm skipping to the end yeah. here. How exactly does this work start to finish, then? Would you mind just kind of walking through it? Okay. Well, I'll try to. Whether I'll, I'll be very good at explaining it. Um, it's basically like a one-pixel TV. Mm -hmm. So there's just one LED that's like one pixel on the TV. And when you move the remotes around. It basically is choosing which pixel to display to the LED. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like the the high level version of it. Um, yeah. Based so I guess to even break it down to even more yeah, of a simpler thing, I guess. It's yeah. like, uh, so you take uh, does it work on any light gun or just the Nest Zapper? No, it works. It's a completely universal solution. I've tried it on the NES Zapper, uh, Sega Saturn, um, Dreamcast, and recently I got uh, an arcade board 
which was Lethal Enforcers. I've tried it on that, and it works on that as well. So, All right, so let, be... let's walk through this scenario, yeah. because yeah. That, I always loved that game as a kid. It's a little cheesy, yeah. but whatever. <laughs> so you take uh, any of your analog output, um, and then mm -hmm. the, the light gun that would plug in, whether it's the arcade Lethal Enforcers gun, or whether it's you know the Sega Saturn yeah. Virtua Cop gun, whatever it is, um, what's step two? Do you, you don't use that original gun, right? Uh, so you can use the original gun. That's uh, sort of like the universal way. So uh, I have like a version of the device here. You basically, you, you run your, your video through it and then you have an LED on the end of a long bit of wire. You basically, you attach the LED into the barrel of the gun. So that's basically like uh, how it would see the TV. Mm -hmm. And then a remote gets, sorry, it's not in frame. A uh, remote gets attached to the side uh, to give the positional information. Gotcha. Yeah. So it should be universal because really it's just replicating what a CRT TV did. Okay. Um, sort of fundamentally. And so it should work on absolutely anything that has a light gun. So the sort of the, the more refined version of that maybe is, uh, well, I have like a prototype of that version here, which is basically, so it's the device, and then it has a, like a NES port on it or whatever uh, game you want to play with it. Um, and that just plugs in like a light gun, and then you play it like a Wii game, you get a pointer on the screen, and then you just, yeah, just use the remote, you use the trigger on the remote to shoot. Uh, so yeah, so, gotcha. so it's you could either attach it to the existing light gun and use that, or you just use a Wiimote with a controller adapter and use that gun itself. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And then you would obviously have to map the correct button to the trigger buttons and stuff like that. Then, right? Yeah, yeah. So the the original idea was uh, to do it, make a new cable for every system that you wanted to play it on. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, you'd have to work out. Well, uh, there's the the Bliss box already does that. I don't know if you're uh, aware of that hardware at all. Sorry, what was the name of that? Bliss box. That is a controller adapter that allows you to pretty much. Um, what it basically does is allows you to plug any controller into USB. But uh, that would definitely be the guy to yeah. talk to about um, mixing and matching stuff like that. Doing the opposite, you know, having maybe <laughs> USB going yeah. into. It, but. Yeah, but uh, the the sort of problem that I came. Uh, across with that approach was, uh, well, kind of two problems. One of them is there's just not much information about light guns because you can easily get pinouts for everything but it's like, you know, you say okay, how did the light gun work? And it's like, well, there's no there's no information on that apart from a few systems like the Zapper is obviously like, everyone, you know, that's an easy pinout to get. Um, so yeah, and the second problem was kind of this was a fun project for me because I really like old light gun games, mm -hmm. and like using the actual hardware is the thing that makes me feel like I'm actually playing it. If you play it with just a remote, it's kind of like yeah, you get the you know it's it's a it's a nice way of playing it, but it doesn't give you the nostalgic feeling of using the actual light guns, etc. Agreed. Yeah. So how do you get the accuracy done? Is there just like a calibration thing you do? I think I saw that in one of your videos too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been sort of playing around with a few ideas about this, but uh, the one which I originally had and probably the one that will uh, be in the final thing 
is yeah, you just you attach the Wiimote to your gun, and then you press the calibration button, you shoot in the four corners, just like any other uh, light gun calibration. Mm -hmm. And that just maps the Wiimote position to uh, where you're shooting on the TV. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty awesome. So have you, um, you've tested it with all of those different consoles then, so, uh, and um, how exactly then, so now, uh, the latency always gets me because, um, you know, mm. when old games are ported to new consoles, you do have a little bit of controller latency, and then yeah. all flat screens add something, you know, except for mm -hmm. uh, yeah. flat screen TVs. Some of the gaming yeah. monitors are down to almost zero, but, mm. um, you know, the whole point of a light gun game is you want to play on a big-ass TV, not a little monitor, so... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, how does all of that factor in? You know, your average good flat screen is two frames of lag, uh, mm -hmm. Even if you're using it with like uh, an open source scan converter, so a zero lag upscaling solution, yeah. um, and then of course there's some, there has to be some kind of lag, even if it's a millisecond in translating everything over, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, yeah, all, all those lags still exist. Like I, I can't get rid of them. Um, so um, yeah, the the Wiimote has some latency as well. Like it's it's reasonable, but uh, you know it adds adds a little bit. Um, Isn't so, it about fifteen milliseconds or something? That that would be my guess because it runs at about sixty frames. It returns data about sixty frames a second. So um, you know that sounds about right. Um, so yeah, there there is lag. Uh, it doesn't affect the operation of the light gun because basically my box is. Um, it's sort of uh, before the TV before, you know, it doesn't matter what TV you have, it still works exactly the same because it sits before the signal goes into the TV mm. light gun is not looking at the TV anymore it's looking at the LED gotcha. system yeah so, so all you need is a composite video output then of any console in order to do this, right? yeah so right. That, that's, that, that was my uh sort of initial version um, when I was doing the arcade stuff uh, I needed to make it work with an RGB connection um, so I've got a couple of ideas about how to how to make that work but um, basically I just need to separate out the sync from the signal so when I did it with the arcade basically the green channel mm -hmm. went through the device like the composite video and then the composite sync was sent in a different path um, to the device. Uh, so yeah, so it'll probably be yeah. You will have. It's a smart idea. <laughs> okay, an in and out, which you will either be composite video, or a red, green, blue channel, or uh, I think component and S video maybe could be broken out and would work in the same way. But I'm not so sure about that because they're a bit obscure in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, yeah, so. I'm, I'm trying to cater cater for everything because I'm, I'm sure uh, people don't want to play via composite. Yeah, I think um, the average person watching this weekly podcast would probably uh, prefer to light themselves on fire than try to play through composite <laughs> video. So, um, but um, requiring composite video is a very reasonable thing. There are so many different ways that could, uh, you could pull that off. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of manufacturers for the cables are even starting to get set up to do composite video pigtails, for um, which is required in things like the PlayStation for light guns. Yeah. yeah. So something like that is a, a easy and reasonable request. Um, but if you could do some kind of SCART pass through, 
that certainly would uh, you know would be another solution for RGB. Yeah, so I was because this is the sort of where uh, sort of my my knowledge ends, uh, you know, in terms of what the sort of the standard setup is in the US about uh, this sort of thing. So I have designed a board which is a SCART pass through, mm. but I'm not sure, you know, is that what most uh, US consumers would want? So when it comes to retro gaming, um, your average US gamer has either just conceded and gone all the way to SCART or is using mm-hmm. component video. But um, yeah. I think all of those solutions, you'd be able to find a way to do a composite video breakout one way or another. So, yeah. I mean, a perfect world, you would do um, RGB, component, and composite. Um, but mm-hmm. if you had to pick one, you know, I would just say composite because it's easy to pull that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Um, and yeah, I'm going to do a SCART breakout. Uh, I'll test it with um, component. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, it should just work, um, it, you know, with, with my knowledge of that, uh, that standard anyway. You would probably just need the green signal for component and nothing else yeah. then. Yeah. So how exactly does it work then? It synchronizes where exactly it's supposed to be um, on in the frame? Yeah, so basically one core of the processor, it sits there waiting for the um, horizontal or vertical sync signals. And then as soon as it finds that, it then uh, the ESP32 has a, a peripheral on it, which basically you can say, okay, in this many cycles time, set this logic, this uh, IO line high for a certain period of time, then bring it back down low again. That's basically how... Um, so when you're on the right line of the screen mm-hmm. that you're aiming at, it then sets this timer to go off and make a pulse just where the pixel that you're interested in will happen at. And then uh, basically that signal gets anded with um, the brightness of that pixel because things like duck hunts, etc., they basically just work on the brightness and so the timing, uh, which is a bit unusual. Um, And yeah, basically that signal just goes into a 555 timer which uh, just extends out that pulse. It basically just lights up the LED for a millisecond, and that's that's all all there is to it. Huh, that's pretty awesome. It's it's a simple idea, definitely. But that that is the the technical explanation as to why it would work on absolutely any TV. You would just need to calibrate uh, every time you swapped a TV or a gun. Yeah, so the, the, the main sort of issue with using a Wiimote is that it has no idea where your TV is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, so I've made it, then it can produce an overlay, because it's basically um, like the exact, you know, I'm, I'm already have the video timings. I can just make, you know, I can just adjust the output of the video as well. Mm-hmm. So just cursors and uh, things like uh, setup text. Um, and yeah, so you, uh, I'm not really sure where I was going with this, but uh, <laughs> well, just uh, so that you could put it on any TV, so that way it's yeah, just it's about yeah. the Wemo and this the receivers, not yeah. the TV itself. Yeah, so. it, it, it's the calibration which is the bit of the tricky uh, side of it to get right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've I've got a few ideas about how to do that, and it's just uh, you know whether they're feasible because you could put IR dots 
like around your TV, which would be sort of like the the best approach, well, sort of like the gold standard approach. But then it's a faff, and you need to get them all positioned correctly, and then. Yeah, right, have... and then but then the different sizes of TV would come into play because wouldn't you if you really wanted ultimate accuracy need more for a larger TV then do, would a person really notice that extra accuracy and all that extra stuff? So. Yeah, it's just the just having uh, one set of LEDs, which is probably what I'm going to go for. Mm -hmm. um, it works fine. It's just if you were. Uh, shooting the gun like this and then you decided to shoot like this <laughs> right the calibration is completely off but it's you know whether people actually want to be able to do that or whether you can just say okay that's a limitation don't don't do that gotcha gotcha yeah. but uh yeah i was interested i heard a few wii games came with uh adapters to put remotes into yes and they had calibrations so I'm going to have a look. Uh, I've got a couple of those games. So I'm going to have a look to see how they handle it. You know, can you rotate the gun round? What's the sort of what's the limitations of that? Just to make sure that I, haven't, I haven't missed anything. That's pretty cool. So um, now all of the data that's actually online, all of the stuff that you shared for people to try to make their own. Um, so that basically comes down to uh, you have to buy a couple of components, then the LED on the line, and of course a Wiimote and stuff. Um, what are you using for the receivers themselves? Uh, what do you mean by the receivers? Like the ones that you put on your TV. Is that the Wiimote uh, sensor bar? or? Yeah, so I have uh, a battery-powered uh, sensor bar is the sort of thing that I use for sort of day-to-day -day testing. Um, but probably in the final one, like I have on this like little uh, extra board on top, uh, basically has some LEDs, mm -hmm. some LEDs. So that would basically be your sensor bar. So the device would sit in front of the your TV. The device itself would be the sensor yeah. bar. That's so pretty it's cool. Just in, all in one. Gotcha. So but for now, people would just use one of those, just buy the battery operated Wii sensor yeah. bars. Yeah. Because gotcha. I think that's the easiest way of doing it. Because if you have your Wii mote on, it will try and, uh, your Wii on, mm -hmm. try and pair with your Wii. So it's kind of like. It's probably just easier to get a battery-powered one, and then it will right. sync uh, correctly every time. Um, so, about how much would it cost for somebody to buy all the parts uh, and just do it themselves? You know. Um, so I think there's maybe about twenty-five pounds, which is probably about thirty-five dollars. That's pretty darn cheap. It's. Uh, I tried to get the cost down as, as much as I could. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... So, and that's for self-assembly, so it would be about double that if it were ever to be a sale product considering all the work that would have to go into it, yeah. I would assume, right? Yeah. Well, okay. yeah. Well, Still a pretty reasonable things. kit, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to play uh, Duck think... Hunt on a 70-inch TV would be pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, it's sort of like... Maybe I shouldn't be talking about prices until I've uh, completely settled it. But I was hoping for maybe like sixty, seventy dollars, something like that was sort of what I was aiming for. Yeah, I don't think anybody would would hold you to costs uh, in, in yeah. something like this, just because it's you know it's still in. Uh, I guess you'd call it a prototype phase, even though it's still out there. It's not you know a sellable yeah. box that you have yet. But uh, and you said you're looking into it, so that's something that you're definitely considering. Yeah, it's something that I. I I'd really like to do. Um, 
there's some hurdles which I'll have to get over. And one of the main ones is uh, emissions regulations. Because I'm, I'm a software guy, not a hardware guy. And, uh, you know, that sort of thing is finding out the sort of, like, legal requirements and also, like, yeah. how do you actually go about doing it. Uh, yeah, know, I'm unfortunately uh, very well versed in that for my old company. <laughs> I've spent yeah. countless hours in EMI chambers and doing all that. Um, the good news is, if uh, if you're just doing it to consumer standards, it's infinitely easier than medical or military standards. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also believe that uh, it all depends on the quantity that you're selling. Um, okay. Because you know it's kind of like it's like everything else, right? If you uh, if you copy a CD from a friend or copy a DVD from a friend, yeah, it's technically illegal, but it costs it doesn't do any harm and it costs more to police that than anything else. But if you start selling hundreds of copies, now you're, you know, it's the same type of thing. Yeah. So if you ever did like a limited run of production, I don't even know that I would bother even looking into that. But if you were trying to sell it, sell it, then yeah, I mean, it's something to look into. Yeah, well, it's kind of, um, you know, if, if it was, if these laws didn't exist, um, you know, I'm not saying they're bad laws or anything. Um, uh, if they didn't exist, then yeah, I would have produced a few already and just like tested the market. Mm. Uh, which means that if you do have to get it tested, um, you know, um, you then have to go, okay, I need like this many orders to make it worthwhile to do the testing. Right. And then, you know, that becomes a bigger thing and it's, you know, maybe like a lot more pressure to, to get that right. Uh, you know, you can't, it doesn't seem like there's, you know, a way of just like testing the market, producing a few. So, yeah, I mean, there are ways to do that privately. You could do um, low-order pre-orders on a forum, something like that. You could just kind of work through. I'm sure you might end up getting a million emails after this from people that want to try and test. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's always it's always really hard to see as well, you know, because there are so many enthusiastic people um, that want really badly to help, and it's figuring out which one of those actually has the knowledge to help. And I've been on both sides. I thought I was going to be able to do a great job, got it in front of me, and went, holy crap, I am useless to you. You've already done the things that I'm good at, so take it back and give it to somebody else. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if that's ever something you're interested in. I could certainly point you in the right direction for that to make it fairly okay. easy considering. But um, I certainly think, uh, you know, the end goal would be if you could have a sellable product, uh, a ton of people would love that. Okay, well, that, that, that's good to hear, because I, I flip-flop every day between thinking, like, oh, this is a great idea, I'm going to, like, sell a, a thousand units. And yeah, then well, that's that's everything in life, too, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then if you, ever, uh, if you ever dare read the comments in any of these things, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. it's easy to forget that your average person that's very interested in what you're doing, you'll never hear from. You know, you hear more, you'll always hear more negativity than positivity. Yeah. So yeah. you work your butt off on something and then you see three trolls telling you, like, you know, well, that's stupid. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very easy to get discouraged. So, yeah. But, yeah. Well, um, I, you know, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I mean, when I first saw the video, I wanted to reach out and bother you, but I was just like, yeah, what if it's just a no, one off? No, I don't want to bug you. Now, on the for the last question is how do people follow this project? Just the GitHub, or um, do you yeah. have like a Twitter account? Is there anything like where is the best place to follow it? Uh, on GitHub is probably the best place, uh, which happened kind of by accident because I started working on the new version and I wanted to look back to see something which I'd done 
uh, earlier on mm -hmm. in the last version, just to remind myself how I did it. And uh, yeah, I found this this thread which I had no notifications about. I had no idea it was there. I felt so bad uh, that ignoring these people for like a year. So. Uh, <laughs> I, I've started posting stuff on there, uh, you know, like keeping them updated on the on the next version. So, yeah, that's probably best place. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again uh, for coming on. I'll definitely check in with you in the coming months when uh, your project progresses. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Cheers. Thank you very much.